Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the last chapter in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at Revelation 21 and 22. Turn with me there. Uh, As you're turning there, I just want to remind you, we're going to be looking actually at a portion of scripture. Um, Oh, hang on. My mind uh, sometimes gets a little lost. As you're turning there, folks, (laughs) short uh, commercial here. The Word Speaks Women's Conference with Courtney Doctor is happening for you women, all right? 50% of the population of this room. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to sign up. I'm, I know that there are a ton of offerings out there and a ton of other things that you could participate in. I don't believe there's anything like the conference that our women put on for the women of Salem Heights. Amen? If you're thankful for that team, if you uh, really uh, are blessed by the ministry that's been going on and the servants that lead that, one of the greatest gifts you can give them, if you are intending to go, sign up, take a friend, be there for that conference. It's going to bless you this year, so be a part of it. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) I want you to note, uh, as we look at this section of scripture this morning, two things. First of all, Ancient Wells New Season, in this chapter, we are taking a look at something that is profound God decided, remember, when he wrote scripture, he was trying to take you out of darkness into the light. So when we avoid sections of scripture because they seem confusing to us, what we're doing is editing God saying, that's not light, that's darkness. We need to embrace every passage of scripture, amen? Out of darkness into the light. And he chose to end the chapters of scripture, to emphasize at the very end these thoughts, This is a heavenly home. This is an eternal city. This is a picture that he wants you at least devotionally. Specifically, he wants you as a child of God to wrap your mind around this and dwell on this picture. There are streams that are coming out of this city that no longer can be quenched. It's no longer a picture of a desert that you're living in and you are digging through all of the dirt to be able to finally get to what is the streams of living water. They flow freely in this city. They flow freely out for everybody that is there. There's no desert as well as no sea in this picture. Nothing separating you and God. This is a picture of promise. But also I do want to note because of what is happening even in the news, and we have to be careful not to uh, take a look at what's happening in the newspaper and do what they call newspaper exegesis. But... Jerusalem's under attack. You have Israel right now still in the papers. Well, not the papers, online. It's in uh, the atmosphere. If Jerusalem is not important, folks, why is there constantly this hot button that is in that zone? When scripture said that it would be so, there were many that were mocked for generations until 1948, and once again, Israel becomes a, a, a nation We see these things in scripture where God says, hey, this is what's going to happen at the end. And consistently we see the press of history moving that direction. We ought to be praying for peace in that region. Amen? But not peace that man brings, 
peace that only God can bring. It's at the end of that, a resolution. I want you to hear me correctly. This is not a political statement. This is a statement that comes out of scripture. What happens in that area matters to God. And he brings up this ancient battle. There's a battle between Babylon and Jerusalem that starts all the way back in the uh, book of Genesis. It carries right through to the book of Revelation, but at the end there's only one city standing, no longer Babylon, no longer anything that is wrong in the world, no longer all of the rest of the mess, just Jerusalem, and this is the picture that we have. We're going to read uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, and then verses 22 through 22, 6. Uh, we're going to read these uh, passages, and I want you to stand with me as we read this. But I want you to note this. In the book of Revelation so far, the Apostle John has been seeing these visions. And there are moments in the book where it knocks him off of his feet. He's reeling as he sees all of the things that must take place. He sees a, a future from when he is having this vision where nations would be in a clash, where there would be a great uprising against the living God, where nation would be against nation, brother would be against brother, where there would be turmoil, there would be famine, there would be earthquakes, there would be all of these things. Does it sound like any of those rumblings today? Just birth pangs leading up to the great big final event. And he says, all of these things are happening. And, and John is reeling at this moment. It's almost as if he is in a fever. All of these things are settling into his mind. He is watching scene after scene after scene unpack in front of him. And then there's this great resolution. God judges, separates, settles and says, now the eternal state. And so at the end of this, the fever has broken, answers have come, and this is the balm that he applies to the wound. Chapter 21 and 22, he says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Imagine this. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more grief, crying, pain, no more, because of the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Just pause on that. Then he said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Mark that. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The cowards, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. By the way, note that. When one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, he said, come. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like precious jewel, uh, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. Get who's there. 12 angels were at the gates. The name of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. And there were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the city wall had 12 foundations. And the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundation. Just note that as you find your way to verse 22 there. Angels, Old Testament, New Testament, all of these there. You get in through the old, it's founded in the new, and all of that truth is what you are standing on in eternity. I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and the lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it'll never be night there. They'll bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he showed me the river of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing its 12 kinds of fruit, producing fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Do you believe that is true? Amen. You may be seated. Now, by rights, we should be starting a brand new series as we read just those words. We could unpack this for weeks. We're just going to take a few moments this morning. I just want you to get the 30,000 foot level and be able to wrap your mind around this and then devotionally go back and grab onto it. This is where it ends. This picture of ancient wells, new season ends at this moment where you no longer have to dig a well or do any infrastructure work. It is all provided right there coming from the lamb. Interesting construction. We don't have time to unpack it right now, but in chapter 22 there, it actually says there, it's flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. There's two that are there. He showed me the river, the water of life. There's two that are sitting on the throne. Uh, It says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there'll no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his singular servants will worship him. There's this amazing thing that is happening even in this passage where we see the triune Godhead at work, single God, three in one. All settled in this moment, ruling, reigning in our presence. We're going to understand 
him in a way that we do not have any concept of today. Why this picture? Why does God choose to wrap up the book of Revelation? And in fact, all of the writing for the New Testament ends here. What is he hoping for us to to get from this? There's four things I want you to see. We'll move through them quickly. But first, this city is a picture that comforts. Artists have tried for generations to picture uh, this. Uh, If you go online, you'll see all kinds of stuff. There's a whole bunch of uh, AI artists. They put in in input and have the computers draw them up. We have one picture here that uh, just kind of is based on the wording that you see in that passage. No longer a sea, there's a river that's there. All of these gates to a city with this high location. Um, What is that city going to look like when it comes down and lands here on earth? We have no idea, all right? Artist renditions just are a way for us to kind of get our mind thinking, but there's nobody who right now, today, we can't talk to somebody who's been there, come back and said, man, this is what it looks like. They've tried to depict it. Uh, There's an interesting statement in 1 Corinthians, and um, 2.9, it says, and it's quoting Old Testament passages here, but it says, but it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived what God has prepared, those things for those who love him. Uh, We we can't wrap our minds around what it is that God's actually prepared, but that city comes down to earth. Some people have wondered whether or not it it is just uh, that we can't see heaven right now because of the way that we are wired. There was an interesting discussion uh, by a theologian uh, 40 years ago. He was just talking about the science that's going on and the things around us that might actually be present that we just can't see. And he says, when I tune my television, now think about the time that he's talking about, uh, the, the screen looks like it's spinning, and then all of a sudden the picture settles into that on those old tube, tube TVs. Do you remember that? Some of you do. Just nod your head and your kids will think you're weird, right? Those people who just nodded, by the way, use their iPad for a coaster, so... <laughs> This theologian from that generation says this, the eye, for instance, requires light in order to see lights and electromagnet radiation. Electromagnetic spectrum has frequencies as low as those associated with electrical power transmission, 60 cycles per second, to frequencies as high as cosmic rays, about six times 10 to the 21 cycles per second. In between are radio waves, heat waves, light waves, ultraviolet rays, X-rays, gamma rays, Between the heat rays and the ultraviolet rays is a narrow segment of the vast electromagnetic spectrum to which our eyes are sensitive. If you were going to take the electromagnetic spectrum in a lineal scale and draw it out to show all the points on the scale between the low frequencies to the electrical power at the high frequencies, we would need to draw a line 300 billion miles long. The visible spectrum... That's just the part that humans can see from the top to the low end. What we can actually perceive, uh, the most perceptive humans around. If you were to be able to see that part of the, the, the spectrum, on that 300 billion mile long string, it would be represented by only one inch. You can only perceive one inch out of 300 billion miles on that spectrum. Is it possible that we're just out of phase with heaven and there's some stuff going on around us we can't see that's even in the room at this moment that God will reveal? If he showed us 
What was going on around us right now, would it shock us? I know we're going into the sci-fi realm. But here's the thing. Just even what is in creation right now, we can't wrap our minds around. And there's coming a day where he presents heaven to us and says, man, let me show you some things you missed. And now let me show you what I prepared for you for eternity. It'll blow our minds. Why is heaven a consolation? Why for you and I should it even matter? If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, there is something strange that happens. And I would just write these passages down in your mind and go look at it. But in Genesis chapter 4, there is something that has happened. The godly uh, Abel and Cain, uh, not godly, have had a little battle. Cain kills his brother. And we see these two lines that come from Adam then, Cain and Seth. Uh, One author said it this way, if you want to see the ungodly line of Cain, if you want to see him put on display, what does he do in Genesis chapter 4 at the very end of that? He takes us into the marketplace. You go into the marketplace with Cain and it says that he was the one that developed uh, raising cattle, that he developed uh, taking care of sheep, that he developed music, he developed uh, cities. Cain is the one that developed all of these things. And why does he stop there? Because the closest to heaven that people of Cain would get, those that are of his ilk and in that group, is going to be in the marketplace. The stuff they have, the things they own, that's as close to heaven as they'll be. But then he goes in the very next chapter and he highlights the line of Seth. And there's something strange that happens. Instead of telling us all of his accomplishments and all the things that he had bought and all of the ways that he had improved society right here for himself, the things that he could take, instead it says that he lived and he lived a good life and then he died and then he died and then he died and then he died. Why does it take us to the godly line and say, and then he died, if he's saying for... This man, all the things that we want, Cain has acquired. Because it says in scripture that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. What has he done at the very end of history? He has said, I've prepared a place for you. You have lived your life in that place as the consequences of decisions that weren't yours and as the consequences of decisions you've made. You've been living in mess. All those things that he's acquired, that is nothing compared to what I have for you. Here is the place I have prepared for you. And heaven is the place, amen? It's the place. It's meant to console us. He says it's precious because he says, I know it's hard. And I know being born is hard. But you're in my arms now. You're in my family now. Let me show you the place that I have prepared for you. And this short, short, momentary light affliction that we experience right now is not worthy to be compared with what is going on in heaven. It's a picture that comforts. Second thing I want you to see, this city has a fountain that heals us. 21, verse 6 says, Then he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. 22, one through five, he showed me the river, the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And the tree of life was on each side of the river. There's a picture here, the stream that is flowing 
theologians have tried to figure out what the, the picture is, is indicating based on that original language. It's possible that it's just flowing all the way through, uh, like you see in some locations, uh, those trees that have their roots down into the water and they're available on either side of the bank. It's either that or these trees grow up as a canopy over this river as it is going. But he says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Psalm 46. Just uh, write that down in there for you. Verse 4. A river whose streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when it hears his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This is the place it's talking about, prefigured all the way back then, and it's a picture of it right here. It says there that there's a a tree, the tree of life that is there, and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Therapy for all things. You know, a lot of times we get together and um, we celebrate the life of an individual that lived well here and we know that they're in heaven and it says that we are to, to grieve as those with hope. Amen? I, I was reading uh, Reader's Digest. It was actually a group of pastors that had written in strange things that had happened while they were having a celebration of life service. This one guy in the Midwest says, where he said, we're getting ready to bury this uh, wonderful old saint, this lady, and uh, he says, just as I stepped up to the podium to give Uh, the final benediction, he says, thunder racks the entire building and then lightning cracks and lights up the place and then it's shuttered by another volley of thunder. And it was so uh, intense, even for the area, that he says everybody's kind of in a little bit of a flutter and as he's just kind of calming down, he hears her husband say from the front row, well, she's there. (laughs) (laughs) Heaven is a consolation, and sometimes it's a mystery how we get in. But this is what it says is missing in heaven. Did you know that there's things that are missing in heaven? Seven times that word that there is no more of something comes up in this book. It says that there's no more sea. Revelation 21.1, it's a picture. Uh, when when uh, you saw the throne of God, Uh, Up in the heavens, there was a sea of glass that separated men from being able to come there. Also, when you see these nations roar, uh, literally those that are on the coastlands, the sea was always a picture of chaos that God had to form things out of. And the nations were filled with chaos, and they liked the chaos, uh, but God's people are set free from the sea. There's no longer any sea, no longer any chaos, no longer any separation between us and God. There's no more death, 21.4. There is no more mourning, 21.4. There is no more weeping. You can be sad without crying, but they kind of attend to each other, 21.4. 21.4, once again, there's no more pain. In 22.3, there is no more curse. There's no more ability for you to go and fail because of what God does permanently in you for eternity. And there is no more night, How great would it be to not be tired? Anybody in here tired of being tired? There's no more night. 
new heavens and new earth. That's what we have. There's all of these things that are no more. That fountain that heals us, uh, we don't know how come in a place without a curse you would need leaves of a tree that are for healing of the nations. There are some that have implied that uh, this is God's perfect balm. There may be things that you walk through, not pain, not crying, not mourning, but the ability uh, when you wake up on the other side to have perfect knowledge and understanding, a healing of your heart and your soul. Your perfect self will be able to process everything that's ever happened and say, it is good. The fountain that heals us streams from there and it feeds them. A third thing I want you to see, though, and this is important this morning, it's what reminds us of our mission while we're here. This city has a passport that identifies us. In 21.7, it says this, the one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. There's a passport to get in. Well, who is the one who conquers? Is it just somebody who is really strong? Um, I mean, I've heard of hero Christians, right? We listen to these stories about believers in different generations who rose up and they did something significant and they were profound in their depth. If you read through all of the Old Testament, you'll see all of these heroes, but if you keep reading, you will see them ruin their testimony and only God can clean it up. When you take a look at what happens in the New Testament, all the way across, every single one of those apostles, there's something in him that is inherently bent the wrong direction and is only saved by Jesus Christ. There's no hero Christians. There's only a hero God. It has a passport. What is it? First John tells us, it's not about being a hero. It's not about your strength, your grasp, your ability. First John 5, 5 through 13 says this. Who is the one who conquers? That's the question we're asking but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. He's not believed the testimony that God's given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That's the testimony. You have eternal life if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a passport. God wants you to be in heaven. Do you know that? He wants you to be in heaven. He wants you someday to be in this place and to see him there. Not just a passport, but he's given you a map. When Jesus looked at Thomas and Thomas said, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the map. Uh, a short while ago, I'd showed you this. Uh, in 2007, they had, um, there were some files that exposed things that had happened all the way back in World War II. And one of the most intriguing things was that in Monopoly boards that were given to prisoners of war inside Nazi camps, they had actually smuggled maps of the region. So in the Monopoly board, I think we have a picture of the silks that were buried in there. There were these maps in here. They were printed on silk by a company called Waddington's. Can you imagine wadding silk up and having that be your name? They put it on silk for a couple of reasons. It didn't uh, get um, affected by the glue when it was put inside the board, but they had made these little hollows inside the board, and in there, there was a map of the area 
where they were being um, kept at war. And it highlighted for them um, ways that they could get out of that location. Buried inside the monopoly money was actual money from three different regions that these boards would, would come into. Smuggled into some of the edges, and you can look this up, this is just general knowledge now. Smuggled into some of those areas where actually little files or a little compass so that they would be able to go across there. They say they don't know how many people actually escaped with that, but it was well known that these maps existed and that people had gotten out of the camps because of them. Smuggled into their horrible situation and their everyday life while they were playing games in a camp where Nazis had placed them, the map to get out to freedom was in their hands the entire time. What this passage is reminding us to those who overcome, you don't have to be strong. You can be living in in an embattled state, but Jesus is the way. And there are many of you that are in the room that found him while you were struggling in your everyday life, some common individual looks over to you and says, this is the way out. Follow Jesus. He was smuggled into your everyday life by a common individual, a common moment, but a profound truth. Jesus is the answer. And he wants you here in this place, in this city. Final thing, as we wrap up this morning, this city has an invitation that calls us. Look at uh, 22, 16, and 17. We didn't have it up on the the board, but I want you to read this in your own Bibles. It says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, star, both spirit and bride, get this, both the spirit and the bride say come. Let anyone who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely, let the one come. It might be that you're in that category. There's two different things that I want you to notice here. First, It says the spirit and the bride. Now we heard who the bride was at the beginning. This is believers that are dwelling in this city, believers who are coming down. So what does that have to do with this passage? He says that evangelism right now, the evangelism that we share with the world is a duet, okay? The spirit of God calling people, but he uses you and I, the bride of Christ, to share that message in concert with him. I don't know how all of that works perfectly, but I do know in my own family the story. There's many ways that we could look at this, but I think in most clarity, um, my mom and dad, who were lost and far from God when they found each other, uh, had already had a hunger for something more that was inside them. My mom, who was leaving Uh, false religion, who had grown up in uh, abuse, uh, who was fearful of those things that would put uh, more on her, was just trying to live a life where she could know her husband, be free from abuse and enjoy life. And they thought when they found each other that they had found the answer. Uh, Have you ever found that person you thought, oh man, we're going to be fine on our own. And how far does that last, right? Without God, it's a mess. So they're moving forward and life is getting shaky and there is inside her spirit this deep desire 
for something more. In fact, she knew it was God stirring her. She's searching in different places. They go to these uh, different churches, places that were far from the faith before they went to a little place um, that would proclaim Christ. One day when they were all stirred up and in her heart she knew that their marriage is falling apart, their life was not working the way that it should, there's a call in her heart to interact with God, but she does not know how to do it. And a man named Charlie Allison shows up at the door and he says, I want to introduce you to Jesus. By the way, he says, you're a sinner and you need him. And they said, please leave. But by the third time after Charlie Allison still coming back in that profound duet where the spirit of God is stirring and he's saying, here's where the answer is. It's not me. It's Jesus. They give their life to Christ in 1978 and the world has been different for them. It changed our family. It changed their hope. It changed the direction. It changed their destiny. They will be here someday and we'll be with them all because of what God did in their life. In that profound duet, the spirit and the bride say, come. But you might be sitting here today saying, I've never really responded. I've just come today because I'm curious. I see all these things that are going on at Salem Heights. I'm not sure what it is even that I'm supposed to be looking for. I know that there are some that come week after week and you are wondering, what is it that I'm supposed to do? This is what I want you to hear. It says that all who are thirsty may come. There's no one that is excluded. There's no life situation. There's nothing that you have done that will keep you out of this. There's nothing that God can't heal. There's nothing that Jesus hasn't paid for. All you have to do is say, I believe, and it is washed clean. And what he says this morning is, do you believe it? Will you come, be healed, respond to the Lord? This is what our mission is, church, to proclaim that good news to the nations until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this profound call that we see in scripture, this beautiful picture, a balm for the wound. As John is seeing everything that must take place in order for things to be put right, all of the rot in the world that you dig out and you remove and you shake the nations, there is a lot of destruction that is necessary in order that the corruption would be removed, but you reign. And at the end, the answer is, this is the place where you dwell with man. This is the place where you make all things new. And Father, you give us a picture, just a tiny glimpse, not even something that we can fully wrap our mind around. We wouldn't be able to if you had written all the words. But you give us a glimpse of heaven, of what you will do in the future. And you say, if you're thirsty for that, come. Be healed, set your sin aside, don't be cast out. And so I pray this, this morning, Father, two things. First of all, for those believers who are here, that we would remember, we'd be reminded we're supposed to be on mission and our hope is not here. Father, for those that are here today and they have not yet placed their faith in you, I pray that that thirst would grow overwhelming and that they would desire to come and have that quenched in Jesus Christ. That they would be satisfied with him alone. And then do whatever it is that he calls them to do because he is worthy. Father, I pray that you would help us to have a a resounding answer as we see these things in scripture. Let it call to our heart and let us answer in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.